Chapter 1 of The Young Crusoe or The Shipwrecked Boy This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rick Meesham The Young Crusoe by Barbara Hofland Chapter 1 Dear Papa, said little Charles Crusoe to his father one morning, do you think that our family is any way related to the famous Robinson Crusoe? Oh, I believe not, Charles, but what may be your reason for inquiring? Because I've just been reading the history of Robinson Crusoe, which was in the packet of books my aunt sent me from England, and I did so very much love him and admire him that I wish that he had been my own great-great-grandfather, or something of that kind. I was, however, afraid it was not so, because I know the Crusoes are a Staffordshire family, and he was a Yorkshireman, and the Crusoes were gentlemen, I suppose, when he was only a poor man. I believe you are right in your conjectures, my dear Charles, and by no means wrong in your feelings. For so delightful is the story of Robinson Crusoe that, not only as a boy, but a man, I have read it many a time over myself with the deepest interest. And do you think it is all true, Papa? Well, not all, Charles. In the first place, the name is not true, for the poor man who was really left in the desolate situation described was called Alexander Selkirk. In the second, it is not true that he was shipwrecked, for the fact was that his captain, to his eternal disgrace, put him on shore in the year 1703 on the island of Jan Fernandez, at which place he was found in 1709 by Captain Rogers of Bristol. He was a Scotchman by birth, and probably decently educated, as he was sailing master of a privateer at the time of his misfortune, but in giving his adventures to the world, thought proper to employ a clever man called Daniel Defoe, already well known as a writer. This author compiled the story of Robinson Crusoe, therefore partly from the real situation of Selkirk, and partly from the experience of other adventurers, so that although it is not true as a whole, it probably is so in all its details and it is certain that he is thrown over it such an air of reality, it is impossible for the mind of any reader not to assent to the whole. I am much obliged to you for telling me all this, Papa, but if you won't think me childish, I shall choose to believe it all true, the same as I used to. I love Robinson Crusoe dearly. He was so courageous and active and ingenious. He had so many clever contrivances in his hut, and, and such droll ways of dressing himself. And then he tamed the creatures, so as to be quite companions to him. I shall always think of him when I teach the parrot to talk and the monkey to play tricks. Perhaps I may be thrown on a desolate island myself some day, you know, Papa. And to judge from your countenance, Charles, such a fate would be by no means disagreeable to you. Why, really, Papa? I think I should not much mind it, provided I had a gun and plenty of powder and knew how to use it. Well, my boy, though I sincerely hope that you will never be left, either on a desolate island or in any other situation which cuts you off from the comforts of social life, which are of much more importance than a child like you can estimate, yet I am glad that you are of an active, enterprising disposition. Let our situation never be so desperate. We should never despair, 
and if it were ever so lonely, we yet know there is one above who can hear our prayers and reply to them also by delivering us from our afflictions. Father and son now separated, for Mr. Crusoe, who was an English merchant resident in Bombay in the East Indies, had some particular business to attend to. Charles, however, repeated the conversation, with many comments of his own, to his sister Emily, and even his mamma, who took some pains in pointing out to him the obligations he was under to the friends and servants by whom he was surrounded, and how impossible it would be for a person accustomed like himself to the comforts and elegancies of life to subsist in a state of utter destitution. Charles soon was brought to acknowledge that he should want a great many things, and that he should be very unhappy if deprived of his parents and friends. But he had adopted very high notions of the power of man's endurance, and he maintained that persons of his sex ought and could go through a great deal without repining. Mrs. Crusoe smiled at his enthusiasm, but would not repress it further than was necessary, for, like his father, she sought to turn it to a good account. Whenever, therefore, she saw Charles listless and indolent, desirous of calling his servants to do that which he could do for himself, negligent of his lessons or averse to exercise, which are all common failings in the East, she used to assure him that he never would do for a Robinson Crusoe. This observation frequently roused him to exertion, and, of course, his sensible and affectionate parents were glad to awaken in him those energies which are so necessary to every young person, but especially to boys who are so situated. Our young friend was, at this time, about ten years old, and he was happily blessed with an excellent constitution, which the cares of his mother preserved to him, though they were not equally effective for her daughter, who was about two years younger and was very delicate. When, indeed, she had attained her tenth year, the little girl became so poorly that the medical man entreated Mrs. Crusoe to set out with her for England, and accordingly they departed for their native land at very short notice. Mr. Crusoe wished much to give his son the benefit of an English education, but he could not at this period bring himself to part with the only comfort which remained to him and as he resolved to settle his affairs as speedily as possible and follow his lady, he thought Charles would not be any great loser by the delay, especially as he shared with a young friend the cares of a very excellent tutor. Under these circumstances, therefore, the boy remained at Bombay about a year and a half longer, when, with his dear father, who was now become almost his sole companion, he set out for England, having previously visited Elephanta, and whatever was the most beautiful in the environs of Bombay. End of chapter 1